There's the wonder of sunset at evening, the wondrous sunrise I see. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. There's the wonder of springtime and harvest, the sky, the stars, the sun. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that it's only begun. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Vance, for singing our special. Thank you, ladies, for always providing such beautiful accompaniment, and isn't it a wonder uh, that God loves us? We are not deserving, yet He loves us anyway. If you have your Bible, please open it up to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Don't give up. Soar like eagles. This is, boy, I'm, I'm, I got to get used to this new routine. Yes, we're going to dismiss our kids to Children's Church. Miss Rebecca Walsh is teaching them if you're second grade and below, you can go on back there uh, and go on with Miss Rebecca. She is out there in the foyer waiting for you. All right. There we go. There we go. All right. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you very much for helping them find their way. There is nothing like a good day of hard work. I've always felt that way. I've always enjoyed getting out there and getting my, dirt, my, my hands dirty. When I was a kid, uh, there's pictures of me. I'll say it like that. There's pictures of me mom has in a photo album, and dad is messy. He's been working in the car, and there's little me, four or five years old, and I'm just covered in grease because, and I remember this. I didn't know what I was doing, but I would just get out there and touch the dirty stuff and then rub it on me because I wanted to be dirty like Dad was dirty. But as I grew up, I still enjoyed a good day of hard work. Uh, working at my grandfather's farm, we would 
build fence, clear fence row, work the cattle, carry uh, the square bells of hay. I, I remember wrenching out my flannel shirt after picking up hay from the field because we were so soaked with sweat and then putting it up in the, in the hay loft up above the barn. And there's, you know, there's not much of a draft in an in a upper barn hay loft. But I just always enjoy a good days of hard work. And I still do. The difference is now, I'm old. Every day of hard work I have has to be followed up with a hot Epsom salt bath. And I've got to soak in there for like 30 minutes. And then the next day I'm like, oh, my back, oh, my legs. I used to get out there and swing that axe. And I just enjoyed splitting wood. Splitting wood was therapeutic for me. I just enjoyed splitting a good log. It was just something fun about it. I did it as a kid, and I, I still like to do it now, but now for three or four days after splitting wood, I am just, I'm old. I can't do it anymore. You know, growing weary is an issue we deal with. Growing weary is an issue that we deal with when we work hard. And anytime you set out to work hard at something, there will be a point where you will grow weary. And finding the issue of growing weary must be an issue within God's economy, within the people of God, because in God's Word there is so much exhortation, if you will, about not allowing yourself to grow weary. For instance, we read this passage a couple of weeks ago, Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. That's written by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13, For consider him, talking about Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The exhortation isn't, uh, you might grow weary. The exhortation is, don't grow weary. Don't give up. But what does it mean to grow weary? First off, I want to make sure you understand I'm not talking about physical weariness. Physical weariness is a part of being a human being. Jesus Christ himself grew physically weary. Samson grew physically weary. That's why God made us to need to rest. That's why he said there's a seventh day in the week, and that, by the way, is your day of rest. We are supposed to have physical weariness. weariness. But instead, what I'm talking about is spiritual weariness, spiritual weariness. And specifically, growing weary means this. You just give up on the spiritual fight. You just give up. You give in. You throw in the towel and you just kind of say, well, whatever. You say, well, flesh, have your way with me. Do whatever you want. I give up. And so you start doing whatever your flesh wants you to do or you stop doing what your flesh wants you to stop doing. It's not always about what you're doing or what you're not doing. It's a little bit of both. A well-known pastor I follow on Twitter tweeted this statement a couple of weeks ago. If you're not struggling with the temptation of lust, jealousy, envy, covetousness, and gossip, it probably means you've already given in to these fleshly acts. Amen. The constant struggle means we're in the fight. When there is no longer a struggle, it means we've given up on the fight and we're just letting our flesh do whatever it wants to do. And you may not struggle with any of those I listed or that pastor listed, but the thing is, is you probably are struggling with something. We all do. And so if you are constantly struggling with a particular fleshly vice, be of good cheer, 
It means you've not grown weary of the fight, but you are still waging war. You may, still, you may feel a little weak in the war, and that's, that's common. That's, that's supposed to happen. That's why we've got to lean into Jesus, is to give us the strength we need. In fact, growing weary isn't just about fighting against sinful fleshly issues. After all, two of those verses urged us to not grow weary in doing good. Many churches suffer in ministry because people have grown weary of doing ministry. They've grown weary of doing the good they know they ought to be doing. They know they are called to do the good of ministering to one another, of doing the ministry of God's church, but they've grown weary of doing good. And so instead of standing on the promises, like Kenneth likes to say, we're sitting on the premises. Instead of getting out and getting to work, we're resting on our blessed assurance. God, God has called us to stay in the fight. God has called us to keep doing the good we know we are called to do. And so we must look to the word of the Lord and be reminded that we are not to grow weary in his service. We are not to grow weary against the constant struggle against our fleshly desires. And, and, and so we look at scripture. And I, I mentioned three, but there's one more we're going to look at this morning in Isaiah chapter 4, about 40, about what to do against that fleshly struggle, about how not to grow weary. Before we read this scripture in Isaiah 40, I want to give you a little bit of context. Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah, is not talking to his current generation who is still in Judah and that God has rescued from the Assyrians, but he is actually looking forward. In fact, what happened in Isaiah chapter 39 is he has just told Hezekiah, your life is going to be spared, Isaiah is going to be spared for a little bit of time. But then he goes on to chapter 40 and say, but there's coming a time when Isaiah is going to be carried off. I mean, when Israel is going to be carried off. He tells them that in 39, and then in 40, he gives them a little bit of comfort. What he is doing is looking forward to when the Babylonians are going to carry Israel off. And then he's looking further, even further ahead, 70 years beyond that, after that captivity and after the Babylonians are overtaken by the Persians and a new ruler named Cyrus would be in authority over the region and the Israelite captives. And 70 years after that captivity is when they are released by Cyrus to go back to Jerusalem to build a temple and to build a walls and they're led by the leaders Ezra and then a little later by the leader Nehemiah. But during their trip from uh, the Persian Empire to Israel, they start to lose hope. And what Isaiah is doing is he is foreseeing this, and he is giving them a word right now about why they should not grow weary. Part of the problem is, is as they are traveling from uh, Cyrus's kingdom, from Persia to Jerusalem, they start to look at the power of the nations around them. They think about Babylon. They think about Persia, they think about the Assyrians, and they think about the great power they had to overtake all these nations, and they start thinking, well, maybe we should worship their gods. They take their eyes off of the Lord and begin to worship or think about worshiping the other gods. Well, if we worship these false gods, maybe we'll have the same power that these other nations have. They've grown weary of doing good. So in this moment of foretelling, Isaiah gives them a word. It gives them a word to help their focus. It gives them a word and a message that I believe is still resounding today because sometimes we have a tendency to take our eyes off of the Lord. Well, let's read our scripture. I'm getting into my message now. 
Isaiah chapter 40, specifically verses 28 through 31. He says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Please, Father, Lord Jesus, would you just please speak to us through this word? You are the word of God. You are God. Lord, we call upon your name. We call upon your very real presence as the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we do this, Lord, not as some sort of superstitious act, but God, because we really believe in our need. I really believe in my need to have you speak to me through your word. Lord, I want to I walk out of this place different from how I walked in. And I don't believe that happens through the power of positive thought or through you know, my own application or my own abilities. But God, I believe it happens when you speak to me and you change me and you talk to me. And, and I want that for me and I want that for everyone here. Lord, that you would just increase your impact on me and on us, on this community. And I believe you can do it through your word and through your Holy Spirit's presence. God, would you, just, would you just be here with us? It's your name I pray. Amen. I, w- I want to give you three principles this morning on how we can soar like eagles, not grow weary. The first principle is this. We need to look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. I already mentioned how the Israelites had become distracted. They began looking at the foreign nations and how they were worshiping these false gods, and they started thinking, well, maybe we should worship the same gods they are, and we'll have the same power that they have. They were distracted and distraught by their problems. They had forgotten all that God had promised to do for them and through them. And so Isaiah reminds them in verse 28, have you not heard? I know you're thinking, that talks about hearing, not seeing. It's perception. It's all about understanding. They had taken their focus off of God. Of course they had heard. They were the people of God. In verse 27, I didn't read this, but just look back at that. Isaiah calls them by another name. He says, why do you say, O Jacob? You see, in doing that, what Isaiah was doing was prodding their memory. We're not just Israelites. We're not just the people of Judah. We're not just the people of Jerusalem. We are the people of the promise to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham. Those patriarchal leaders, not only of their nation, but of their faith. And that promise from God to those patriarchal leaders were, I will be your God and you will be my people. And at some point, they received a promise. At some point, they were in captivity. At some point, they were taken from that captivity by the hand of God. And so they would have begun remembering, perhaps, how they had been rescued from Egypt. They would have been remembering how God began kicking the people out of Canaan so that they could take over that land. They would be remembering how God had taken care of them, how he had rescued them over and over and over. They needed to remember his heritage of saving his people. 
but they could not focus on those promises of God and the keeping of those promises by God because they were too busy looking at their problems. Let me ask, do we want the Lord to get us to a point where we soar like eagles? Then we need to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We cannot allow our perception of our problems to distract us from His promises. We must take control of our minds and set it to thinking of those things that do not defeat us or of those things that cause us to become weary. Romans 12.2 tells us we must be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Every day I need to get up and renew my mind. God is faithful to me. He is faithful to His promises. Even when I am faithless, God is faithful. And if I will keep my eyes on Him and on His promises, I won't be bothered by my problems nearly as much. Now, we're humans. We're going to be bothered by our problems. That's just, that's a given. We must take control of our minds. We must take control of what we're thinking and instead think on the Lord. Notice what Isaiah specifically reminds them, though, in verse 28. He says, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. We not only need to look to the Lord and his promises, but we need to look to the Lord because when we look to the Lord, we are reminded of his utter greatness, of his majesty, of his might. We will see Him and His promises best when we see how awesome He is, the Creator of heaven and earth, the One who never grows weary, the One who spoke all things into creation, how awesome God is. When we truly perceive how great our God is, everything else will be put into perspective. We must look to Him and truly look to Him. Let me tell you, we cannot get our minds right, we cannot get our our focus right, if we're not spending time in God's Word, man, I keep going to that well, but I just can't help it. I believe there's so many answers to our issues right here in our hands. God's Word. We need to read from His book. The more that we do that, the more we will have our focus put on God. He is strong and mighty. He never grows weak. And He is the God who saves His people throughout time. The second principle is this. Not only do we need to look to the Lord, we need to wait for the Lord. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? There's a couple of thoughts I want to give you, actually three thoughts I want to give you about waiting for the Lord. The first one is this, waiting for the Lord means patience. Ooh, we don't like that word, do we? We'll ask and pray for just about anything, but we won't ask for patience because waiting means you surrender your control. Patience means you surrender your control or what you think you have control over in regards to time. Not only that, but you surrender all your solutions. You surrender all your previous successes. You don't go with your gut or get things happening, and it may literally feel like you're just sitting and waiting. Patience. Patience means we continue on with what we know the Lord would have us to do until He tells us to do otherwise. So even in my weakness, while we wait on the Lord and continue in a holy lifestyle, even in heartache, we patiently wait for the joy of the Lord that comes in the morning. Waiting in the Lord can be very trying, especially if you're a results-oriented person. You know what that is, right? You're very formulaic. This plus this equals that. It doesn't always work out that way, does it? 
Life doesn't always work out. You do this, and you do this, and this is what you get. That's, it's not always going to happen like that. I don't want to quench your fire that you might have for living life. I don't want to quench your fire for trying to make things happen. But our Lord is able to make all things work together for our good and for His glory in His hands. So we just need to wait on Him and be patient on His timing, on His timetable. Is it hard? Absolutely. In the Genesis story, Abraham and Sarah were supposed to wait until God blessed them with a child. What did they do? They take things in their own hands. Ishmael came because they grew impatient with God fulfilling the promise he had made to them. Don't give us any more Ishmaels, folks. Wait for your Isaac. Now, I'm not talking literally about kids. Well, some of you, I might be talking about kids, right? But no, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait for His solution. Patience in waiting on the Lord means we endure in a lifestyle set apart from the world. We endure any afflictions that come our way. And we endure the murky waters of the unknown. We tread those murky waters of the unknown in faithfulness to the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. The second thing waiting on the Lord means is total dependence, trust, and faith. But it's so much more than just trust and faith. I'm talking about total dependence. Verse 29 states that God gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Faint and powerless tells me they've got nothing left. There's a common statement that I've heard for a long time that I've always not believed in. It's this, God helps those who help themselves. I don't believe that. I believe God helps those who knowingly admit, I can't help myself. I heard another preacher say it like this a long time ago. He said, God isn't looking for people at the end of their ropes. He's looking for those who have let go of their rope altogether. And they've said, Lord, I totally and completely depend on you. The, the old passed away pastor, C.H. Spurgeon, talked about waiting on the Lord like this. Total dependence, I mean, total dependence on the Lord to look like this is he pictured birds, new hatchlings in the nest. As a child, you remember maybe going and seeing new hatchlings in their nest? And what do they do? They have their neck extended, their mouth wide open, and they're waiting for mama to bring them food. Because they can't go get it themselves, they can't even chew it up themselves, and they just have their mouth open, necks extended. May we ever extend our hearts to the Lord for what He can only give us and what we desperately need. Waiting on the Lord means we are totally dependent on Him. And then finally, conditioning. Waiting on the Lord means that we are allowing Him to condition us. It's actually an opportunity for us to become stronger in our relationship with Him. And this thought comes from one of the other uses of this Hebrew word for wait. It's the Hebrew word quaval. And it has both a figurative and a literal meaning. And the literal meaning for this word, for this Hebrew word, is to make rope. To make rope. If you know anything about rope, you need it to be braided with multiple cords. If you have just a singular string, and you try to pull something with that singular string, what's it going to do? It's going to break. But what the biblical uh, mandate, the biblical principle of rope making, which can be found, by the way, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, specifically verse 12, is that one strand of cord by itself is very weak, but a rope that is right has at least 
three cords braided together. And as tension mounts on those three cords that have been braided together, it actually grows stronger, not weaker. Waiting on the Lord. You could almost literally re-paraphrase that. And I'm not doing that. Don't call me a heretic. But this, those that weave themselves like rope into the Lord will have their strength renewed. Those that weave themselves into the Lord will have a new strength. Well, how do we weave ourselves into the Lord for renewed strength? I'm going back to the well. I know no better way of weaving myself into the Lord but spending time in His Word and spending time in my relationship with Him. Here's my third principle, which leads me to that renewed strength, and it's this, that we fly with the Lord. How do we soar like eagles? Well, we have to fly with the Lord. That seems a little redundant. Let me explain. The Scripture says that we will soar on wings like eagles. Not that we'll be given wings, but have wings like eagles. Now, eagles are just like any animal. They grow old, and they grow tired, and they get worn out, and eventually they pass away. That's, that's the, the circle of life as the Lion King taught us, right? But eagles are just like birds. In, 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 well, they are birds. That's kind of a silly statement. My apologies, any science teachers in here. Eagles are birds, and just like any birds, as their feathers wear out, they get rid of them. It's a process called molting. And as that, as that feather is come, coming out of them, as it is molted out, they will grow a new feather. And that feather will be nice and strong and able to do its job. Every time a bird molts, it puts on fresh feathers. In fact, it has been argued that this verse 31 could be translated, they shall put out fresh feathers like the molting eagle. Kind of like Psalm 103 verse 5 says, your youth will be restored like the eagles. Now, there's a legend out there that Eagles can live to be 100 years old because they remove their beaks and they remove all their feathers and they let all new things grow out. Totally a tall tale. The Bible uses the symbol of the eagle because eagles represent strength and power and might and often royalty as well. But if you look back at our scripture one last time, verse 31, what you see is, is they don't just grow out these feathers and these wings so they can sit there in their perch and say, yeah, look at me. What does it say in verse 31? They will mount up with wings like eagles. Some of your versions say they will soar like eagles. It says they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, when our strength is renewed, like the eagle with new feathers, we are called to be doing something with that. They would not be a symbol of strength and might and power and even royalty if all they did was sit there. They're called to take off. At some point, that bird has got to flap its wings and trust that its feathers will do what they were made to do. Let me ask you, do you trust that you can do what the Lord made you to do? Do you really believe that all things are possible with God? Do you really believe that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Do you really believe nothing is too difficult for thee? If you believe in the strength that God gives you from looking and waiting, then take flight to where He is leading you to go. But we need to remember 
that we're not just taking off into the wild blue yonder on our own because we're not restored with our own strength. The eagle is not given just his own wings. This is the strength of God. He is the one who gives us new strength. He is the one that makes us to run. He is the one that makes us to walk and not grow weary. It is God. And so don't just take flight into whatever direction you want, but instead we need to fly with the Lord. You want to soar like an eagle? Then soar with the Lord as He leads you, as He directs you. And I promise you, if you align yourself with Him, which requires submission, which requires surrendering to Him, He will not lead you astray. He is the faithful one. So now what? How do we fly with the Lord? How do we wait on the Lord? How do we look to the Lord? It all comes back to having a relationship with Him. It all comes back to having time in God's Word and having time with God in prayer. Are you getting tired of that, that, that statement? You've got to spend time in His Word and you've got to spend time in prayer. Are you getting tired of me going back to that well as I've said over and over throughout this series, don't give up. There is no magic pill. There is no silver bullet to growing in our relationship with God. It requires spending time with Him, and I know no better way than spending time in His Word and spending time in prayer. I have challenged you for three weeks for 15 minutes. We spend hours a day doing all kinds of other things, 15 minutes. If you don't currently have some sort of regular time with God through scripture reading and through prayer, why don't you give just 15 minutes? 15 minutes. You know, I can walk almost a mile in 15 minutes. We can do a lot in 15 minutes. We can reconnect in our relationship with God. Because here's the truth of this scripture. Everyone relying on their own strength will grow weary. Everyone will grow weary. Verse 30 states, even youths and young men will grow weary. But according to verse 28, God never grows weary. And so the question is, is which would we prefer? The strength of the young, right? We're always like, I wish I could go back 10 years. Well, even they grow weary. Or would you prefer the strength of God, whose strength never fails, it never wearies, it never fails, it never falls short? Paul says that he delights in his weakness, for when he is weak, he is made strong, because the grace of the Lord is sufficient for us. It is sufficient enough to make every weakness we have taken away if we will submit it to him. Nowhere is this more true than when we submit our lives to him. When we recognize that we are not strong enough to save ourselves. Listen, if you are not saved this morning, then I want to tell you, there is no way you can be, be ever save yourself. There is no way you can ever be strong enough to save yourself. But salvation comes down to this, that you submit yourself, surrender yourself, and say, God, I need your strength in me. Jesus, I need you to save me. Instead of your confidence, instead of your strength, instead of your dependence on yourself, it must all be put on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Won't you commit yourself into His hands as Savior and Lord and experience His strength firsthand? Aren't you tired of hearing about it? Don't you want to experience it yourself? 
I, I cannot, I can't communicate it well enough of what living life on your own and how it is a complete and utter waste of time. But it is only when we surrender it all to God and allow Him to live life through us and we live life through Him that we will truly experience a strength, a spiritual strength that never fails, that never grows weary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray that you have gotten out of me and into us what your will wanted said. Lord, if there's any here this morning and they're, they're not sure about where they stand with you, Lord, they've been living life on their own strength for far too long. Lord, I pray this would be the day of surrender. And during this time of invitation, Lord, they would take care of what they know they need to take care of. Lord, have your way with us. Lord, let this be a time of prayer and a time of rededication. And Lord, a time of first-time commitment to you as Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And it is in your name I pray. Amen.